Since 1992, Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. At Genesis House, they focus on treating the underlying causes of addiction. Their comprehensive approach includes psychiatric care, individual and small group therapy, trauma healing techniques, and holistic care including yoga, massage, and animal-assisted therapy. After treatment, their clients enjoy the lifelong support of a nationwide network of Genesis House alumni. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery. Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery podcast are proud to bring you Answering the Call, the first responders podcast. Join your hosts as they address the real issues of first responders' health and wellness, from physical and mental health to relationships and work-life balance. Answering the Call, the First Responders Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube, as well as iHeartRadio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery answering the call. Here we go. I'll call you after. Hi, right, very good. Hi, Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Answering the Call, First Responders Podcast. I am the podfather, Mike Miles, and I'm here today alone without my companion and my mentor, <laughs> Jersey Ed. All kidding aside, um, Ed and I have decided that we're going to um, each do our own podcast. He's doing a podcast for Friends in Recovery which we've been doing for about three and a half years together. And I'm gonna be doing Answering the Call, which is a little little over a year uh, in progress. And as you know, Answering the Call is about um, helping police officers, correctional officers, firefighters, EMS workers, and um, veterans. I'm an Army veteran, as you can see, I wore this shirt coincidentally today. Kind of went with my shorts, but um, you know, I was the EAP for the Lowell, L-O-W-E-L-L Police Department in Massachusetts for the last um, 14 years, and uh, I was a street cop for 28 years, and I was the EAP the last eight years of my career. EAP, Employees Assistance Professional, that's what I did. I helped cops and their families that had problems. I have a master's in social work. I'm a licensed alcohol drug counsel in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and um, I'm a workaholic. You know, I'm also an alcoholic who's been sober for almost 35 years. But more importantly, for this podcast, I'm a workaholic. I love helping people. Um, it's what I do. I make money. I get paid, but I also do a lot of pro bono, um, and it's important. I think most Type A personalities, police officers um, that I know. They have a caring nature. You know, they're taking a bad rap the last uh, few years, I think. I'm not saying anything that happened in the uh, George Floyd case was acceptable. It was awful. It was criminal. And that police officer will be in jail the rest of his life. 
and he deserves to be, no doubt about it. I just want to say in my 35 years as a cop in the city of Lowell, very diverse city, population of about 120,000, um, I never saw racism coming from police officers. Heard off racial jokes, I've, uh, you know, comments about different nationalities, but I've never out and out seen blatant racism in any actions by any cop. Now, you don't have to believe me. I have no reason to lie. I'm not justifying anybody's behavior. I just know that I've never seen anybody arrested because of the color of their skin, uh, the, the language they spoke, or the ethnic, ethnicity, or religious background. I just never saw it. I never heard it. No part of it at all. Now, I'm not saying there isn't racism in, in law enforcement. I'm sure there is. I just never saw it. And you don't have to believe me if you don't want to. That's fine. I, I don't try to justify what I speak about. You know, um, uh, I know what I what I did as a cop and um, the programs I had for, for young adults. I worked in the um, what we used to call projects, but uh, government housing. I chose to work the, the last 17 years of my street career. Um, I could have gone anywhere. I was a senior man, but uh, I liked working there. I liked working with those young adults and the families. And, you know, as a result of that, I made a lot of friends. And some of those kids that grew up in the projects, government housing, they're cops, they're lawyers, they're firemen. Um, you know, they have good jobs. And uh, some of them went to jail for drug dealing and, and violent crimes, armed robberies. But what's important is I grew up in a little, a little below uh, medium income family. I'd say, yeah, a little below. And I didn't grow up in a great neighborhood, but our house was always clean and neat. But I also know that I speak the language of most inner city kids because I was an inner city boy. Anyway, today's topic for me, you know, I, I, I'm just a little hepped up about the way police officers are police officers are being treated by the media. And I think the media, what I've ever, over the years I've dealt with the media, and I've had wonderful police um, incidents that have occurred and stories written about me that were wonderful. And then I've also had stories written about me that weren't. And there was a lot of truth to some of the stories that weren't that good. I had a drug and alcohol problem back in the eighties and I got help, but it was big news back then. Today, it wouldn't be such big news. I turned my life around. I've been sober, like I said, October 17th will be 35 years. Um, and I made something out of myself. Uh, and and, I, and I, I, I put a a real effort into helping alcoholics and drug addicts, not just cops and their families, people on the street. And uh, that's what I do today. I'm a licensed um, alcohol drug counselor. And like I said earlier, in two states. And that's what I do three nights a week. And... Uh, <laughs> I get paid for three nights a week, but I probably work five nights a week or five days a week sometimes because there's a lot of people out there that don't have insurance that need help. And, uh, you know, I don't turn anyone down. Um, I just I just feel that when you take this job as a police officer, well, I'll go back to the 80s when I took this job, 1980, when I started. It was different back then. Everybody wanted to be a civil servant. Um, they did give a test, excuse me, they'd be, it'd be so crowded they'd have to rent out a high school to give the test. 1,200 people would take the test. It might have been hiring 200, 300 cops. 
So that's how it went. Nowadays, right now, I was just reading the New York Post a few days ago, and um, it's like 25, 30% down compared to the last few years. And the percentage I'm talking about are people applying for these jobs, for the civil servant job of being a cop. People don't want to do it anymore. They've seen what the media has done. They've seen how the media can take somebody and just destroy their lives. And sometimes it's justifiable what people have done, like in the George, George Floyd case, that cop had no right being a police officer, eight and a half minutes kneeling on a man's neck. There was no threat. He was handcuffed. It was awful. But there are other people that when you do try to arrest them, they do fight with you most of the time. And you know what? You only have so many weapons. We're not superhuman. We're just humans. You know, our bones, our bones break too. You know, I've had a broken shoulder, major sh shoulder surgery. I've had bottles broken over my head. I've been kicked in the groin, the knee, the face, the back. I've been hit with sticks, clubs, punched in the face. You know, I mean, that's a tough job. That's not something you go to work every night saying, geez, I hope I get in an altercation tonight. I can't wait. But when it happens, when there is an altercation, there's no running away. You have to perform. And if you're limited to what you can do, I always wrestle people to the ground. I'm only 5'9". Well, 5'8". Now I used to be 5'9". <laughs> and I weighed about 220, 215. I'm down to about 185 now. But I could handle myself. I could take people on the ground. And once I got them on the ground, if I couldn't cuff them, I would get them in a headlock and I'd hold them. I didn't torture them. So they submitted. Then I would handcuff them. There was no way I could let somebody go that was pulling a knife or a gun on me. I had to, I had to defend myself. You know, society doesn't want to understand that. And the media, they're the first ones when a cop gets killed in the line of duty, they're the first ones at the funeral, funeral showing the solidarity, showing the hundreds, sometimes thousands of police departments that show up to pay homage to the police officer that's being laid to rest. They love it. But they're also the first ones to destroy your life before all the facts are in. Cops get arrested for domestic violence. It's going on in Boston right now, the chief of police, um, the superintendent of police, Dennis White, had a domestic violence incident 30 years ago. His daughter has testified or spoken out that the mother was very aggressive and that he was just defending himself. doesn't make any difference. The media will not let it go. You know, he's never going to be able to ascertain that job now. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. You spend 30 years in this career and you rise to the level of being a police chief. And all of a sudden it's taken away from you. Something happened 30 years prior. And how we weren't there. We don't know. If I go to the court today and said my wife beat me, they'll issue a restraining order against her without any evidence at all, just on my say-so. You can do the same thing. Does, does that mean I beat my wife? No. If I go down to, does that mean that she beat, beats me? No, it doesn't. It just, if there's no facts, a restraining order will still be issued just on your say-so, just on the word you're saying. The court personnel, they don't know whether you're telling the truth or not, but they have to err on the side of caution. They have to give you that restraining order. Okay, and it's a domestic violence. And with domestic violence charges, there's a protocol. If you have guns, you have to turn them in. If you're a cop, how can you work without a gun? You know, 
Now, I'm not saying everybody that has a domestic violence charge on them is innocent. No, just the opposite. I'd say 95% of them are guilty. 90% anyway. But there are those times when, and I've seen it, when spouses will say they're being hurt or attacked because they know that a restraining order will be issued and that person will be out of the house. And they have no, no justice at all going on there if, they, if they're making this up. And it has been done, and it's done frequently, believe me, more than you realize. So anyway, I just feel that if my children were younger now, and they were, they were older, none of them got involved in law enforcement, and I'm really happy they did not. Um, they're very successful on their own. My oldest daughter works at a district court. My son works for a big company, and my youngest daughter is a au pair right now, getting a master's degree, and she'll be a therapist someday. Um, and thank goodness, you know, because we're in a bad state. It's, it's, it's not the job it used to be. Pardon me. It's, it's a very, very strenuous job to begin with. But now that you have to be accountable, and everybody's videoing every move you make, and recording every, every, every utterance that you speak, you know, um, and they're going to use it against you. What I found when I go to court, when I used to go to court to testify, it wasn't me. I'm sorry, it wasn't the criminal that they were, that the defense attorney was concerned about. It was me and what my actions were and what my history was like. And if I'd ever been suspended, if I've ever been in trouble as a cop, you know, right away, they go right after you. Forget about the case. They take, they take the charges that you're there to testify about and they put those on the back burner. And the jury, whether it's six man or a 12 man and woman jury, they're gonna hear about what the cop does, what, what, what type of personal life the cop has, if he has any type of reprimands or anything. You know, um, Is it fair? I guess it would be you know, in a sense. They don't do it to doctors, they don't do it to plumbers, they don't do it to electricians, but I guess the, the profession of being a cop, if we have the um, legal right to take a life, so I guess we're held to a higher standard. I agree with that, but I, I don't think, I don't think cops should be treated unfairly. Uh, if, and you watch the news when you see these protests and you see people spitting at cops in their face, yelling at them, throwing liquids on them. Who knows what they're throwing? Urine, acid. You don't know, you know. And they have to stand. They have to stand and hold that ground without making any actions at all until they're given an order. It's a pretty pretty scary job. I'll be honest with you. You know, and uh, human nature is to react, fight or flight, when somebody's confronting you in, in a negative, um, aggressive manner. So, uh, firefighters, God bless them, they have a very tough job. Most people like to see the firefighters arrive on a scene because they're going to save the property that they own. But that job has changed as well. And I'm sure if I had a firefighter sitting next to me, and I know plenty of them, um, they'd be telling me how much it has changed over the years too. And I think it's for the better though. Most firefighters are very educated. They're first aid, first aid savvy. They can save your life as cops are. Cops go through training once a year. We recertify to be first responders so we can save lives, so we can do CPR, so we can do any type of... Um, procedures it takes to save someone's lives you know and that's what cops do if a kid's in the river drowning we have to go in and get him so we have to know how to swim you know there's no oh no i can't go in oh no let's wait for the uh fire department to get here no it's you go in and get it 
If you arrive on the scene of a burning house, you don't wait outside. You got to go in that house, you know, unless it's a blaze to a degree where you can't go in. And we don't have any equipment, firemen do. But again, they arrive sometimes and they run right in without their equipment. A lot less now than it used to be, but I've seen it happen. I've seen firefighters go into three-story burning buildings without a Scott air pack just right in and, and, and save people's lives. I was decorated for saving people's lives back in 80, 84 in a, at a bad fire, a tenement fire, you know? And I'm not saying it in a bragging way. I just followed the, my, um, I was a rookie and, and I followed my, my uh, supervising partner who was my training partner. And he went in the building and I held on to his belt up the stairs. We went, we stayed low, there was smoke hovering and we kicked in doors and we saved three people. We got commendations for that. Um, Anyway, I just think it's very important that when you read the news, when you watch the news, just think there's two sides to every story. You know, we're here to help you, my brother and sister officers. I'm here to help you. Ed is here to help you. You know, um, we definitely are somebody you can rely on. You're going to see the show notes. You're going to see phone numbers. You're going to be able to contact me if you need anything. Uh, my name is Mike Miles, M-I-L-E-S. I am the podfather. And I'm hoping that this first podcast, solo podcast, is um, viable and helpful to you. And I also hope that um, Ed's happy with it because he's going to be <laughs> scrutinizing, scrutinizing this podcast. So thank you very much. And uh, the podfather is going to be signing off. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Answering the Call, the first responders podcast. Thanks to Genesis House for supporting those on the path to recovery and keeping this valuable resource free for all our friends in recovery. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates and enjoy free access to twice daily support meetings. Brought to you by Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery.